Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 47 of the Speaking Club podcast. Once, when I was acting, a director told me my voice was like chocolate. I said, you mean it sounds silky smooth? He said, no, I mean it melts in your mouth. Can you speak up? I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show, and what a show I've got for you this week. Jay Miller is one of Canada's finest voice and speech coaches, and he works with actors, speakers and business people to develop the resonance and quality of their voice. I'm sure you're going to have some revelations in this show about your voice and how important it is to the power of our communications, whether we're simply speaking one-to-one or in front of an audience of thousands. Right, let's get to it then. A voice and speech coach who helps business people and performers to increase the impact of their message. Welcome to the show, Jay Miller. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So first thing I wanted to know was, did you always want to be a voice coach or was it something that you found your way to? Yeah, um, it was sort of a long winding road. Um, Back in the Stone Ages, when I was younger, I wanted to be a classical singer. And when it became evident that that was not going to be a career for me, then at that point, I decided to become a speech therapist and specialize in working with people who use their voices professionally, like singers and actors and broadcasters and so forth. When I finished my undergraduate training in speech therapy, it was pretty obvious to me that my interest in voice wasn't clinical or therapeutic. Uh, It was artistic. I wasn't interested in taking, uh, you know, voices in trouble and, and getting them functional again. I was more interested in exploring the potential of healthy voices. So at that stage, uh, I left I left the speech therapy field and did my graduate training in voice coaching for theater. And when I finished that, the obvious career choice for me at that point would have been to uh, take a job as an instructor in a theater program, in a university theater program, uh, as a voice teacher. But I never liked school very much. <laughs> And the thought of spending my le- the rest of my life in the classroom was just not appealing to me. And so I, I pretty much uh, sort of boxed myself in by that point. I had no choice but to go into private practice and start applying the skills that I had to business professionals. So 20 years later, here I am. <laughs> Excellent. So why wasn't the classical singing an option? Is it because it was just... The standard was too high, or or your voice broke badly, or what what happened? (laughs) You're going to make this really personal, aren't you? I'm just curious. A number of things. Uh, I had a good voice, but um, it wasn't a very big voice. And 
And so probably would have been okay for musical theater, but I wasn't particularly interested in musical theater. Uh, I also had a strange break in my voice that, uh, yeah, exactly, that uh, could never seem to sort of work out. And so that made my range kind of wonky. And um, so I sort of had the, the vocal quality of a baritone, but the range of a bass. And so that made things awkward. But I would also think, you know, to be fair, I just, uh, I didn't have the personality to be a professional singer. I just, you know, didn't have that sort of unshakable confidence and, you know, readiness to, you know, climb over other people if necessary to get my opportunities. I was, I was just too nice of a person. Well, that's not a bad thing. Being a nice guy is not a bad thing. Yes, well. So, yeah, but it was really when I look at singers and just realize how much confidence they have to have to you know, stand up every night and open their mouth and have absolutely no doubt about what's going to come out. You know, I realized I, just my personality, I was just never in that place. Well, it's classical music's loss, but speaking and performing so there we go. Um, cool. Now, one of my previous guests credited a voice coach for having the biggest impact on his life. Have you seen the work that you do have similar profound effects in some of your clients' life? I just love hearing stories like that. Even though I wasn't the teacher that helped, that, uh, helped your guest, it just makes me feel so good to hear that. The thing that really inspires me about voice work is that it's not just about how you sound. Voice training is about who you are and how you make that available to the world around you and the people around you. And so it's very personal. You can't embark on a course of voice training without at some level coming to terms with who you are in a different way. And I think that's really inspiring. Um, now, not every student has a life-changing experience, right? Um, most of my clients are business professionals. They just wanna lead a better meeting give a better presentation, uh, you know, they don't need, you know, to be sort of digging around in their, in their psyche. But every once in a while, you know, three or four times a year, I'll get a client that has a natural sort of intuitive uh, understanding of how profound uh, the implications of voice work can be and how it affects not just the way they talk, but their whole life. And when that happens, that is just thrilling. And just as an example, this morning, my first client this morning uh, was a woman, we always do a check-in at the beginning of a lesson. And she's a, an entrepreneur uh, out in California. And she started the lesson today by saying, I have become so aware of the fact that I have this desire to please everyone all the time. And that makes me really anxious. And that anxiety makes me rush as I rush here and there trying to, you know, deal with everything and everyone. And she said, I don't have time to breathe. And, and that affects the way I interact with people. They sense that tension, they sense that anxiety, and they respond in kind. And she said, you know, as I'm taking this training, I'm learning how to set some boundaries, be present, 
to what I'm doing at that moment and the person that I'm dealing with in that moment and give myself room to breathe. And she said, everything is so much easier and people respond to me in a different way because of that. I just love hearing stuff like that, right? That's, you know, I don't get that every day, but that's why I do what I do. That's brilliant. I mean, we're going to talk about breathing in a little bit because I wanted to find out a bit more about that. But I guess is is part of her um, discovery because the stuff that she's learning with you is forcing her to be present to what she's doing with her vocal performance and, and you know, all of that stuff. Is that why she's being able to tap into what's going on a bit more? Yeah, I think that you know, we, the work that I do, well, let me say this. Some teachers really love to dig into that personal aspect of voice training, especially teachers who deal with a lot of performers, like actors and singers, who, you know, who need to bring that highly personal, very sort of vulnerable aspect to their performance. So a lot of teachers really make that a big part of the training. Uh, my teacher just loved playing armchair psychiatrist uh, in the classroom. I sort of swung the pendulum in the opposite direction. <laughs> and, and, and I tend to be a little, I keep a little more distance and I tend to be a little more technical in my approach. Um, but, but what you find is that, right, we're, we're holistic beings, right? You, so, you know, you can't separate the physical from the mental and, and the emotional. And so what my client is finding that as she, as she focuses on things as simple as trying to get her feet on the ground, make some time to allow a breath to enter her body before she speaks, she starts bumping into all of the, the obstacles, the reasons why that's hard to do. And then she's, she's a person who's really uh, attentive and to herself and anxious to grow and as a person. And, and transform her life. And so she's asking those questions, like, why is it hard for me to breathe? Oh, it's hard for me to breathe because I'm rushing, rushing so much. Why am I rushing so much? I'm trying to please everybody and I'm, you know, and that makes me anxious. So it's that, that's what I love about voice training is that, you know, it's, you don't have to get up in your head and all psychological about it. You don't have to picture the audience in their underwear. These are very tangible, physical skills that have far-reaching effects on your performance as that's a speaker. Really, that's really interesting because, well, there's two things that sort of sprung to my mind there. So it's, it's about focusing on the process, I guess, is what you're saying, Elizabeth. So it's quite interesting. I've been wrestling with a, a bit of an issue with Facebook Live, and that was a whole other episode I'm going to be sort of dealing with that. But one of the things that I noticed that I'm, you know, I'm perfectly fine in front of an audience, in front of a stand-up, you know, doing my stand-up comedy or, or acting. Um, and I've been having a bit, bit of an issue with this Facebook Live. And it's, I, I noticed that between, I can write more lucidly. Uh, you know, just my thoughts are more lucid when I write than when I speak. And I was pondering on this because there's less distance for my thought to travel from my mind to my mouth. But something's getting in the way between my mm -hmm. mind and my mouth sometimes, mm -hmm. my mind and my pen. And, and I, it's that stuff that you're talking about, I think that, you know, and that's what happened, I guess, when people speak is they get, stuff gets in the way because they're 
not focusing on just the process. Is that, is that right? Well, what it, what it brings up for me is that we tend to be in our heads yeah. and we tend to be all preoccupied with our thoughts or even while we're standing there speaking to people, there's this little conversation going on in our head about how well is this going and what are they thinking of me? And so the, the, one of the benefits of, of this kind of training is that it gets you out of your head and into your body. It gives you something really constructive to focus on. And so people find that in that process, they're not caught up with that mental chatter. Now suddenly they're present, they're physically present, and that helps them to be present uh, mentally and emotionally and, and interpersonally as well. So that's what I think the wonderful thing about this work is that it's so tangible, right? Everybody has a body, everybody has physical sensations uh, that, that, that they can, but we're just not used to paying attention to that when it comes to communicating. Well, I guess For it's us, an instrument, isn't it? it effectively, our, our, you know, our, it's an instrument and we don't think of it that way. Whereas I guess working with someone like you, you know, as singers obviously do think about their, their voice as an instrument, but it, day to day we don't pay it that much attention, but it, but it is, isn't it? That's right. We see communication as being all about thoughts and words, something we do with our brain and our mouth and, and the rest of it never crosses our mind. And so that's actually a huge shift that we have to uh, negotiate in voice training is learning how to, okay, put the words aside. They're not important for now. You know, now it's important for me to feel, see if I can relax my shoulders or breathe down into my belly or, you know, whatever the technique of the day might be. Uh, and that is a big, big shift. Now, there are some people, I guess, that are blessed with beautiful speaking voices, you know, naturally. And probably, I guess, a lot of them end up on, on the radio or whatever. But is it, is it possible to develop a voice to that sort of rich, silky, you know, you know that 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 musical you know i guess back to instrument again or are we mm -hmm. stuck with the voice that we've got mm -hmm. to some extent we have to work with the instrument that that we were born with and that we grew up that that our, our genetics have given us yeah. to some extent right but i like to say that everyone has the potential for a good voice Assuming, assuming there's a healthy instrument there, everyone has the potential for a good voice. And by good voice, I mean a voice that's strong, uh, clear, a voice that is musical and engaging for people to listen to. I think everybody has that potential. Now, we're not all going to sound like Jeremy Irons or Judy Dench. We're not all going to sound like Morgan Freeman or uh, Meryl Streep, but we all have that potential for our own version of that compelling, engaging voice. And the things that, that get in the way of our voice usually aren't unchangeable physical obstacles. They're bad habits, lack of technique, nervousness and skill, all these things that tend to close us down right at that moment when we're trying to open up and make ourselves available to other people. Wow, that's brilliant. And, and I guess that's what you, that's the things that you work on in, in, mm -hmm. when, you, when you work with people, brilliant. That's right. And my second client today, when, when she walked in my door for the initial consultation, 
you know, she had this scratchy, raspy voice that she was using. And uh, today she was reading something for me and I suddenly realized I didn't hear the scratchiness anymore. And you know, now she's a long way from being able to apply that in the office, you know, when she's under a bit of pressure or giving a report to the executives or whatever. But, you know, but there was that potential to have a voice that's clear and free of noise and musical and just pleasant to listen to. Uh, and it doesn't take a lot to uncover that voice. Oh, that's good to, that's good to know. I, we're going to pick a few of those uh, tips off you in a bit. And could you also make the distinction for me between voice and speech work? Is it just, are they the same thing or is it a different thing? Not many people ask me that question and I'm glad you did. <laughs> uh, I see voice work as relating to phonation, the way that you produce that basic sound that comes out of your body. Ah, that's voice, yeah. right? And then I see speech as being the way that you shape that sound into language, into the formation of vowels and consonants. So then you can see then that I see voice as being foundational to speech. And in my world, we always work on voice before we work on speech. You don't see me giving tongue twisters to my clients, you know, in the beginning stages of the training or asking them to see how many words they can read without taking another breath. There's no point on working on the elements of speech you know, if your jaw and tongue are tense and you can't breathe and, and, and your throat's closing up. Right. So, so in taking the analogy of the instrument further, so when I first started playing the violin, it sounded like a cat had died <laughs> and or was in the process of dying, more to, more to the point. So, it, so I had to work on making the, the, the note clear before you can do mm. things like staccato and, you know, and, and all of that. Is that the sort of thing that you're talking about? It needs, the note needs to come first before you start playing with the note and making it sound different. Yes, yes. And, and no matter what language we're speaking, well, apart from sign language, it's a breath-powered process. And, uh, and it involves the vibration of the vocal folds. And so until those until those pieces are working optimally, then there's no point in, you know, trying to pronounce the words right or worrying about how you're phrasing something. And again, this is the trap that speakers, especially beginning speakers, always fall into. We get all focused on the result without paying attention to the skills that make that result possible. So yes, like the violin, you got to be able to make just a tone before you can start doing scales and glissandos and whatever else you'd like to do as a violinist. Yes, I, I only got to grade one on my violin, I must point out. <laughs> it didn't progress much beyond the cat dying. <laughs> Interestingly enough, my younger sister uh, uh, was for about 20 years a freelance violinist in Vienna. And, uh, but I can remember those early days when she stood in the living room and just drove us all crazy. <laughs> it's, why it's one of those instruments you can't wait to that tipping point where it starts to sing <laughs> rather than shriek. Okay, cool. And so when you get a new client, what, what is the first thing that you work on with them to develop the voice? Presumably now we've made that distinction, it will be around the voice and the breath and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So... 
So just to be clear that voice training is very physical work. Signing up for voice training isn't like signing up for Toastmasters. <laughs> it's much more like signing up for a yoga class with sound. Wow, okay. All right, so the first thing we're gonna work on is relaxation because until your body is relaxed and open, you're not gonna be able to breathe, right? And if their physical tension is the enemy of, of resonance, of sound vibration. So relaxation is always the first order of business. And I don't care what coach you're work, working with or what method they're using. Every, every approach to voice training that I know of, whether it's um, Lessac work or Kristen Linklater or Cecily Berry or Fitzmorris training, I don't care what type of training you're using, the first thing that they're always doing is some kind of relaxation work. And, and for most people, that goes a lot further than what you would expect, right? People could understand, oh, I need to relax my throat, or you know, I need to relax my jaw and tongue. People would intuitively get that that's necessary. But the reality is, we start with their feet and work our way right up to the top of the head. The whole body uh, has to speak, so the whole body has to be relaxed. Wow, that's that is it. I've got a book called Voice and the Actor, I think it's called. And the first, like, m pretty much the first half of the book is on exercises exactly to, 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 to you know, get your body working, which is, you know, and they're quite, you know, and I think the lady who I think it was based on Cecily Berry's work. I think is it um, Patty Rodenberg? That's the one, yes. So she's yeah. saying the first year of drama school students spend just ba basically getting that those te body techniques right is the foundation for good voice work which is effective exactly saying. yeah exactly and the particular relaxation exercises you use are going to vary and maybe the order in which you would address different parts in the body might vary but um yeah it's always relaxation in fact my first voice class speaking voice class that i ever took the whole first half of the semester was just yoga. I, I think we might have been encouraged to make sounds once in a while, but it was mostly a yoga class. Um, and that was her approach to voice. And were you guys getting impatient? Like, for goodness sake, when are we actually going to do, when are we going to get onto the voice bit? <laughs> I can't speak for the rest of the people in the class. Everyone else in the class was in the acting program, and I was the only one who was a non-actor. I was coming from speech therapy. Um, but I, I was so delighted to be doing something other than memorizing the order in which the teeth emerge in the mouth that <laughs> I was quite happy to be in a yoga class. I'll take yoga. Yoga works for me. Excellent. <laughs> okay. And another thing I want to get the difference is what distinction between is, is projection and speaking louder. They're not the same thing, are they? Or have I got it wrong? Yeah, um, let me say this first, and I'm not sure I can answer this question in a way that's going to make sense, but I'll do my best. Okay. First of all, I don't use the word projection in my training. I don't talk about projecting the voice because I think the word projection is just loaded down with so much baggage for the average person. I think, you know, we think of, uh, we, th we think of working at it. 
throwing our voice to the back of the room, pushing our voice out or whatever the case may be. And, and working is always counterproductive to good voice because working implies uh, muscular activity. And what do muscles do? They contract. Well, contraction then implies that you have less space to work with, less space available for breath and less space available to vibrate with sound. And so, so I never talk about projection. Uh, first of all, we just work with what's the amount of sound you can just produce with a sigh of relief? Hey, no more energy than that. In their first month of training, even, even beyond the first month, if, if they're working harder than a sigh of relief, I'm correcting them. Um, so, so projection, at least, is, is a sort of a dirty word for me, uh, although I realize that it's what most people can relate to. So if by projection we mean the ability to fill a room, whether it's a small room or a medium-sized room or a large room, the ability to fill a room with our voice without losing our voice after 10 minutes, what I like to talk about is, is just finding more space. Right? We're not trying to make the right thing to happen. If you need more from your voice, then you need to find more space to vibrate with sound. You need to open up more and allow that sound to travel. Right? You can't push sound vibrations through the air. You can't push a wave along in the water. It's going to travel at its own speed. And the same is true for your voice. Right? We, all you can do is just open up and stay out of the way and let those vibrations travel. And so I talk at the advanced stages of training. In fact, it's usually the very last lesson that I do with people. I talk about this concept of inhabiting the space. This sense of being consciously connected to the space in which you're speaking. And when you, when you, when you feel yourself physically connected to that space, then you can sort of imagine, <clears throat> if this doesn't sound too uh, wavy gravy, you can sort of imagine your being filling that space, then you don't have to push your voice to the back of the room. You just have to allow your voice to vibrate in that space that you're already inhabiting. And so then the mechanical things like projection and the size of your gestures and all those things that we like to list that a good speaker needs to worry about, those things should all start to happen automatically and and modulate themselves if you're connected to the space that you're in so to circle back around to projection and being louder yes of course you know if you're doing a, a, a battle scene in shakespeare right like you need to be loud right so so you know i try to avoid using the word loud in my training but you know there are times when you need to be loud but that, for most people, being loud means just pushing harder. Yeah. And that is really anathema to the well-being and the optimal functioning of your voice. If you're going to be loud, yes, a lot of energy has to, be, has to flow, but you need to, to know how to stay open and, and let that energy move without unconsciously sort of tightening up around it, because that's when the damage happens. Yeah, that's really that's a really nice way of putting it. Because you're right, it's that you do like your sort of projection is about constriction. 
that sort of picture of you yeah. filling the space. No, that's that's good. I like it. Right. Good. And another thing, and again, this is sort of an advanced thing to work concept to work with, but I like to use the image of a fire hose. Right. You know, with a, a fire hose, there's water moving at tremendous speed and tremendous amount of pressure coming out of that hose. If you stay out of the way, you can use that energy very constructively, right? But if you put your hand in front of the fire hose, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Right? And, this, and if you think of the vocal tract being like that, if the vocal tract stays open and you stay out of the way, you can move a whole lot of energy through that passageway and no one gets hurt. But the moment something obstructs or closes or blocks, then someone's going to get hurt. And wet. <laughs> 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 Excellent. No, that's really helpful. Okay, so are there any? No, well, you've given us. I guess in that you've given us some some helpful hints about picturing ourselves being open. But are there any other sort of uh, simple exercises that we can do to increase the power of our voice? Here's what I need to say first. Yeah, because it's a disclaimer, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever someone asks me, can, can you give me an exercise to increase the power of my voice? Or can you give me an exercise to make my voice deeper? You get these comments on YouTube a lot, right? Can you please give me an exercise to help me slow down my speech or whatever? It sort of betrays a vending machine approach to, to voice and speech training. You know, a vending machine, you put in your money, you hit the right buttons and the product comes out the bottom. Yeah. Voice training isn't like that. Voice training is much more like raising a plant, right. right? You take a plant, you need to, you need to provide the right conditions, water, light, some sort of nutrient source, soil or whatever. And you have to keep those con conditions optimal and just be patient and let the plant grow. And after a while, you've got this beautiful, luscious plant that people admire. Voice training is very much like that. You, you have to provide the right conditions. In this case, relaxation, breathing, and resonance are the, are the conditions. You have to try to optimize those conditions you know, over a period of time. And eventually this voice starts to emerge that's beautiful and luscious and that people admire. So, so there is no one exercise or not even th three exercises that can possibly cover all of the necessary conditions yeah. or can possibly address all the necessary conditions. Having said that, <laughs> okay, <laughs> just managing expectations here. <clears throat> Having said that, if I was coaching you, if you had a speech to give tomorrow and I was coaching you on that speech, you know, and I don't have three months to teach you how to breathe. I would probably focus on your back. I would try to help you relax your back, expand your back, breathe into your back, and get your whole back vibrating with sound. If we could accomplish that, and that's something that you can do in a fairly short period of time, then your voice is going to have more power, it's going to be deeper, and it's going to be more engaging, now, of course, whether you're going to be able to do that under the pressure of a performance, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah. But again, there are no shortcuts in voice work. 
but I do find that work, working with the back is a bit of a shortcut. So I can, I can give you a link that you can make available to uh, your listeners yeah. uh, that'll take you to a YouTube video I have that explained this, explains this concept of working with your back. I think the, the uh, theme of the video is actually more around having vocal stamina and not losing your voice, but it does, um, it does teach an exercise that you can use to explore, you know, what the hell does this mean, working with my back? Oh, that's great. Well, I'll definitely put that link in, in the show notes. Cool. Okay. Now I wanted to ask you about breathing. What, why is breathing so important in speaking well? It's another one you're going to go, well. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start is, is what I go for this one. The human voice is a wind instrument. It's powered by breath. And so I think it's safe to say that the quality of your voice the quality of your speech is never going to surpass the quality of your breath. So if the breath going into your body is small and tense and shallow, the voice coming out is going to be small and tense and shallow. If the breath going into your body is deep and full and relaxed, then the voice coming out is going to be deep and full and relaxed. I like to joke with people that I shouldn't call myself a voice coach. I should call myself a breathing coach because it's just about all I talk about. That's not true. I talk about relaxation and resonance as well. But, you know, breath is just such a huge part of this process. In fact, I'll never forget uh, hearing someone quote uh, an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat specialist, who said, every problem that comes into my office Assuming, again, assuming that there's not a health uh, you know, problem, every problem that comes into my office is ultimately traceable to a problem with the breath. And in my 20 years of teaching voice intensively, I've never found any reason, uh, any way to disprove that statement. If someone's speaking too fast, it's a breath problem. If someone's voice is too quiet and weak, it's a breath problem. If someone's voice is too shallow and sounds too high, that's a breath problem. So, you know, assuming that everything's healthy and a person's not dehydrated or whatever, whatever challenge we're facing with the voice is ultimately in some way connected to a problem with how we're working with our breath. It's so interesting though, isn't it? Because we must come into this world, you know, as babies, breathing in the way that we should. So what happens between then and becoming an adult? Because you don't sort of think, I don't give a thought to my breath, you know. I might think, oh, I'm just a bit short of breath, you know, after exercise or whatever, but I don't think, oh, I'm gonna go for a shallow breath or I'm gonna go for a deep breath. I just breathe, you know, but, but somewhere along the line, we must be, I don't know, I don't know, I can't see how, because you, because you don't think about it, you don't think that you're picking up bad habits, but we must be if we're doing it That's well. right, that's right. You know, you mentioned uh, Patsy Rodenberg earlier, her first book, The Right to Speak, as I recall, the whole first third of that book deals with all of the personal, psychological, and emotional reason why we can't talk well, uh, and, and, you know, and by connection, breathe. But yeah, we know how to breathe when we're born. But then as we, as we go through life, we start picking up habits uh, and, and some of them are coping mechanisms. 
defenses that we accumulate just in order to deal with life that have the effect on you know, restricting our breath. And even like posture though as well, because I think, you know, I could sit up straighter and I suppose even things like, you know, if you're, if you're a bit hunched over and stuff like that, it must affect your, so there's not just the psychological side of things, there's the physical side of things as well. Now I, I saw, and, and again, we might've covered this off, but I saw a testimonial from one of your clients. Uh, it was very good testimonial to say that, but you had them working on being expansive. Is that what you were talking about before, about inhabiting the space? Is that what you called it? Or is it something Yeah, different? that's being expansive at sort of beyond a physical level. But, you know, it starts in your body. It always starts in your body. So if you want to find more voice, um, the famous tenor Enrico Caruso said, if, if, you, if you want to find more voice, then you have to find more resonance, right? You have to find more uh, space to vibrate with sound. You need to, we've been using the word openness off and on in our conversation. So, so yeah, you need, you need space. Um, I like to use the example of a piano. If you would take a piano and stuff it full of old newspapers, it wouldn't sound very good, right? <laughs> we need that space to get the best sound. Or take an acoustic guitar, if we would fill it with sand, it wouldn't sound very good. Right? We need that space and we're the same way. Even though there's very little empty space in our bodies, we're all packed full of organs and whatnot, but, but we need to find as much open space as we can in this physical container in order to get the most from our, uh, from our voice. And so the more space that you can find, the stronger your voice will be, the richer it will be, the more engaging it's going to be. The list just goes on and on. I think it's safe to say that everything I have to teach about voice in some way relates to this idea of openness yeah, or expansiveness. Yeah. How does it feel? How do I create more openness? And how do I stay open? How do I stay expansive no matter what's happening in the room at that moment? Yeah, that's really, that's really good. And I guess that's why if you, you know, people who have anxiety about speaking, it's just the opposite, isn't it? Everything closes up and that's, and then it's, it's, it becomes a sort of a spiral um, effect. That's really why I think, you know, overcoming this might, for a lot of people then potentially, and I'm just thinking on top of my head here, is that it, doing this work with you may help overcome that sort of anxiety because they've got that other thing to focus on, potentially shifting. That's right. If you're working on being open, you can't, there'd be a bit of conflict the first few times between the psychological and thing, but there ha something has to win, doesn't it? You can't. Exactly. That's right. That's right. One of the top four or five things that I work with on a daily basis is stage fright and nervousness. These people are coming to me, not because they sound bad, but because they need to learn how to deal with nervousness, deal with the symptoms of stage fright, uh, function when they're performing and under pressure. And do you know what I do with them? I don't have them picturing the audience in their underwear. <laughs> I, I put them through a course of voice training because it's in voice training where you learn how to 
Stay relaxed, stay grounded, be centered, breathe fully, allow your whole voice to vibrate. When everything is telling you, close up, hold back, shut down, right? And when you learn how to do that, and you learn it's just a very harmless physical process, suddenly you have a very profound tool for managing those, those symptoms of stage fright. That's really interesting. And so presumably when you started, I'm, I'm assuming those people have come to you from referrals rather than, or is that something that you set out to do? do you, did you make that connection between what you did and stage fright? Or is that something that people have discovered about you over the years? Because it's not, like you said, it's not the obvious. You know, you wouldn't really make that connection between overcoming stage fright and, and having a lovely voice. It, it, right. You know, but, it, but I can see definitely how it works now. But is that something that mm. you've cultivated or you Right. It could be a combination of the fact that I've always not only marketed myself as a voice trainer, but also as a public speaking and presentation trainer because of the obvious connections between the two, right? Yeah. And so people see, oh, there's a public speaking coach and I have stage fright. Maybe he can help me. That could have been one of the things. And then the other thing might have been that, especially in the early days of my training, I didn't know how to do anything other than voice training. <laughs> so, I, so I pushed everyone <laughs> Excellent. A happy accident, a happy and fortunate accident. We won't rule out that possibility. <laughs> oh dear. Now we, we've talked already about the importance of body in having a good voice. And you mentioned about the yoga and I've got an idea in my head about a strong core and a strong body. Is that right? Is that what the yoga was doing? Is it, is it, you know, everything seems to be about a strong core, whether it's a good golf swing or, or whatever. Is that, is that, is mm. that what we're working towards in, in voice? Well, we're certainly looking to create an optimal physical state of being as it relates to speaking. And it's interesting you mentioned golf. I have clients on a regular basis who will pause in the middle of a lesson and go, this is so much like golf. Uh, and I'm not a golfer. <clears throat> One of my nightmares uh, is the idea of being forced to play golf. But uh, I won't go back and tell you that embarrassing story. But um, or maybe, uh, off, maybe off air sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, what I sense is this. Um, golf, just like voice, is an, a, a highly complex activity that happens very quickly. You can't control it by thinking about the steps. You have to know how it feels. And all your practice is about reinforcing the feeling that produces that effective golf swing. And, and, and voice is the very same way, right? It's way too complicated to control it by thinking about, okay, am I breathing? Am I opening up my shoulders? And you know, am I projecting the back of the room? Nah, 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 nah. Right? You have to know how it feels. And, and that's how you uh, monitor how well you're speaking. But let me just back it up a tiny bit. Your voice is a product of your body. Right? It's powered by breath and that's coming from your body. The vibrations are being created by your vocal folds and your larynx. The sound is being amplified by the bones and spaces of your body. So if you're going to find your whole voice, you have to learn how to work more effectively with your whole body. Yeah, that makes sense. Okie doke. 
tone. What about tone? What can you tell me about tone? Have we covered it off or is there anything that we should be aware of as speakers around tone? Because often as speaking tools, we talk about pitch, pace and tone. Honestly, I had to look up the definition of tone. <laughs> but, you know, if, we're, if, we're if by tone we're talking about um, uh, pitch, loudness, and, and a kind of quality, yes. obviously that's Im important uh, in voice. But also uh, a second definition of tone has to do with manner, attitude, mood. Think about when someone says, don't use that tone with me. Oh, right? they're, they're not talking about whether it's a deep voice or a raspy voice, right? There's, there's, yeah. there's something more emotional or psychological about what they're referring to. So I, I think it's interesting that that word tone uh, does sort of double duty, and both of them are relevant to communication. But, you know, as, as I said earlier, we're always looking to produce, if I always think of tone as just the that basic sound that's coming out of your body. And, and so we're always looking to make sure it's strong, yeah. it's free of noise, like breathiness or raspiness. Uh, and and it, it has a sense of richness and fullness to it and that it engages other people. So that sort of purity <clears throat> of the note type of thing again. That, that right, but yeah. again, you know, we want to be careful that we don't start getting focused on tone, which is a result instead of focusing on the technique yes. which will automatically produce your optimal tone. Right, I'm with you. Like, yes, back to the golf swing. The ball flying through the air is a result of all the other games. I'm with you. <laughs> Excellent. That's okay, a great I've, analogy. <laughs> I've got a question for you because we had um, a political party leader in the UK who had a very nasal quality to his voice and, and, and it really it made it challenging to listen to. And I think part, he, did, he didn't win the election, he lost the election. And I have a feeling that, that part of it, you know, we talked about, often people talked about his charisma and not having that sort of presence. But I wonder if his voice put people off as well. And is there something mm -hmm. he could have done about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although I would say in my experience that politicians who are working at that level very often just don't have the time and the space in their life to do something like voice training. I mean, they're happy to work with you when they're in the room with you, but you know, they're not going to practice every day. Uh, that's just not going to happen, right? Yeah. So, uh, but having said that, nasality is, well, another thing I want to say before I get into the technical part of this is, is there, there's a, a communications company in Austin, Texas, and I, if I think hard enough, I could tell you their name, uh, but they did a, a study. They're very much into sort of the scientific uh, aspects of public speaking and communication. And they did a study of uh, 150 executive speeches, analyzed the sound with a computer, uh, had it evaluated by a panel of 10 experts, and ran it by 1,000 uh, uninformed lay people. And what they found was that the sound of a person's voice is twice as influential as the words that they choose to say, 
because it, that sound affects how you feel, right? And anyone that has done any work in sales knows that it's not about what the information you give your prospective customer, it's about how you make them feel. And this is true of our voices. And think about how when we go to prepare a speech, how much time and attention we put into choosing the exact right words to use and how little attention we give to the sound of the voice that's going to convey those words. And it's twice as influential. That's so, really interesting. Yeah, I think that's very profound. And, and the stories I could tell you from, from my experience about just observations of how people are affected by the sound of someone's voice in a way that undermines you know, what the person was trying to say in the first place. But nasality, <clears throat> do you want to talk about nasality or should we go on to something else? No, no, I think, I think so it is possible to change. I guess it was just for me, that's, I mean, he may have had an issue potentially with his instrument, but that it is possible to change that. That's, I guess, you know, because there may be yeah. some people out there that feel like they can't do anything about it, but something like that is possible. Oh, yeah. Nasality is a soft palate problem. Uh, your soft palate is that bit of muscle in the roof of your mouth in the very back that, uh, that closes, that lifts and blocks off your nasal passages when you swallow so that food and drink goes down and not up into your nose. Uh, that's your soft palate. Um, when we yawn, the soft palate tends to lift and uh, create more space in the back of our throat. So people who make noise when they yawn, you get this sort of big round bear-like sound that's caused by your soft palate creating more resonating space in the back of your mouth. When we speak in English, the soft palate is generally raised. That's a bit of an oversimplification, but it's generally raised. So, so breath and sound is directed out through the mouth. If the soft palate is lazy and hanging down, breath is going to escape up into the nasal passages and take sound vibration along with it and we'll get what we call hypernasality and that's that quality that you get to the voice right that's a soft palate problem you can work on your soft palate you can strengthen your soft palate you can learn how to get your soft palate to lift more when you speak again it's pretty advanced voice work uh, but it is definitely part part of a of a well-rounded uh, voice training program. Most people, or let me say this, a lot of people come in to me and say, oh, I think my voice sounds nasally. Some of the times they're not actually nasal, they just don't like the sound of their voice and the only word they have to describe it is nasal. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing. But then some people are nasal. But there's nothing you can do about that until A, you can feel the difference between a sound that's resonating in your nose and a sound that's resonating in your mouth or in your pharynx. And B, until you learn how to control that little muscle in the back that can block off the nasal passage and, uh, and create more oral resonance as opposed to nasal resonance. Now, let me also say this. We need a certain amount of nasal resonance in the voice. Too much nasal resonance is called hypernasality, and that's that quality to the voice. We don't want that. If you have no nasal resonance, that's hyponasality. And that's the way you sound when you have a cold. 
and you can't say your M's and your N's because your nose is blocked. Oh. Right now, we don't want to sound that way either. Right? <clears throat> so, the, so what pe most people don't get is that we actually need some nasality in our voice in order to sound. I hate to use the word normal, but yeah. right, that we need a certain. But it, there's a balance, right? We don't we don't want too much, but we also don't want to have that at all because that doesn't sound good either. Um, so that's what I have to say about nasality. Yeah, no, that's really helpful, and I love those. Where I'm seeing all little sort of puppet cartoon characters coming in. <laughs> Many years of soft palate practice. Yeah. it does. It's amazing. It's absolutely fascinating uh, what you're what you're sharing. Okay, besides the obvious difference in pitch, do you find there are differences between men and women in how they use their voice? Can I talk about, can I talk about the negative side of it? Yeah, I want, so I think a lot of women struggle and I wanted to see if you have some examples mm -hmm. um, of this and also from your clients, what impact their voices had on it i imagine that like much like i guess with with the, the politician i was talking about it can affect women in terms of their career and their confidence and it, i guess it was mm -hmm. that which i was sort of trying mm -hmm. to get to yeah okay so stating up front that you know in this day and age even just talking about it in terms of male and female that very black and white binary kind of distinction can get us into a lot of hot water which i don't <laughs> I don't want to go there. Um, so when I use, you know, when I use the term men's voice and women's voice, you know, I understand that there are a lot of things in between. Uh, and also, you know, I'm also speaking in generalities. When I talk about the problems that women typically have with their voices, doesn't mean that men can't have those exact same problems. I'm just talking about what I've seen typically in the 20 years that I've been working with a couple of thousand people. <laughs> so let's, since you mentioned it, let's start with the problems that women typically have. First of all, voice that sounds too high. That's, that's usually a resonance problem. It's a result of, gotta get my headphones out because it makes it hard for me to do this. Um, it's a result of too much oral resonance. So the voice is primarily up in the mouth and that makes the voice sound really high and young. Right, so that's very typical for women. I think for men, when they go through puberty, puberty, uh, you know, their voice often changes so drastically that they don't have the option of staying with their old voice. <laughs> right, they're forced eventually, sooner or later, to take on a new voice, uh, and that's just nature sort of imposes that uh, on the male voice. But women, you know, that voice, that change is a lot more subtle. And I think it's easier for them to stick with the familiar habits of the little girl's voice, even into adulthood. And so I typically run into, you know, 20, 30 year old women who sound like they're 12. Uh, so that's, that's one, you know, big issue. I didn't even know that women's voices broke at all. I guess. Uh, must do there, I understand that there is a change that happens in the female voice, but it's much more subtle than what happens in the, in the man's oh, voice. Okay. Yeah. And that's about all I know about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
if only you stayed it. on that speech therapy course longer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I should educate myself, shouldn't I? Uh, okay. The other thing is a voice that lacks strength. So it's very common to see when you're doing soft-spoken, speaking in uh, pretty small voices. Up-speak is, is very common yes. in female voices. Uh, so that tendency to inflect the ends of sentences up, so na 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 that is a marker of of feminine speech. Um, but not just that, uh, Canadians do that, and I I've just learned recently that Australians do that a lot. Yeah, I uh, think it so, came from Australia originally. From well, I read an article where they were saying that that sort of uh, sort of one of the sources of it. It's making its way into other cultures for better or for worse. So that's, again, that, but that's a, that's a marker of feminine speech. And another thing that I would mention is a vocal fry. So that's the, that sort of raspy quality that you hear in Valley Girls' voices. Yeah. Uh, that is a very common characteristic. And again, it's just, it's a consequence of not having enough breath support in the voice. And so instead of getting a clear, uh, tone coming out, we just get this blah sound that's coming out. So those are the those are the main things that I've noticed with women's voices. Shall we be fair and talk about men's voices, or do you want to skip over? No, no. Let's let's have a balanced. Let's have okay. Well, one problem that I commonly see in men's voices is they're just talking too damn low. They're speaking on a pitch that's just way too low for their voice. There's so much culture pre cultural pressure for men to have deep voices. And the only way we know how to find that is to just talk at the very bottom of our range. Right? Uh, and when we do that, the voice gets tense. Uh, uh, it gets flat. Well, let me go on. Because that leads to a bunch of other problems uh, for men. One is the tendency to sound monotone. Right? When your voice is jammed down into the bottom of your range, there's no play in the voice. There's no up and down. There's no expressiveness. So we tend to get this voice that's very flat and unexpressive and monotone. That's very common for men. They tend to pull their voices back into their body. So right, their voice sits back in their throat. Instead of coming out here in the room and engaging other people, it's all pulled back inside. You know, we don't want to reveal too much. We don't want to be too vulnerable. So we just keep that voice pulled right back inside the body. That's very common. And then the other thing is mumbling, right? Just not opening the mouth far enough, not speaking with a, a strong voice, and, and then adding speaking too fast for that. You've got a, you've got a, a great recipe for mumbling. So that's, that's very common in men. So I'm constantly, uh, you can see that all these, all these um, uh, characteristics are sort of related in, in some way. And so constantly urging men to try to find the middle of their voice and not just be talking down in the very bottom of their range all the time. I didn't know there was pressure on men to have a deep voice. Maybe that's just because I'm a woman, it's passed me by, but um, mm -hmm. wow, that's really interesting. Uh, there are some really, really interesting work being done uh, here in Canada at McMaster University uh, on, uh, on gender differences in voices and its effect on communication. And uh, they're finding that 
uh, women find men with deep voices to be more attractive. Women have better recollection of what deep voiced men say. They recall more of what they said. Men with deep voices have more babies. <laughs> men with deep voices get more votes. And men with deep voices are perceived as being better leaders. And, and that uh, is pretty universal across cultures. Uh, no, I'm, I, I got to be careful when I say that, but I think I have come across uh, some statements that, that is a, that's not just North Americans or uh, something like that. Now, men with deep voices are also more frequently suspected of infidelity. <laughs> so there are downsides. They're obviously true because they've got loads of babies. <laughs> and here's the kicker. Men with deep voices have lower sperm counts. It doesn't add up. There's something. <laughs> I, I tell you what, though, the interesting thing is, hasn't done David Beckham any harm having a high voice? He's, he's, he's got loads of kids. He's been a so, fellas, you should let, let yourselves off the hook on this one because that's right. David Beckham as your role model. He's that's not right. too bad. Or Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one's going to go up to him and say, You've got a high voice, fella. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, Jay, you shed some absolute gems uh, today. Thank you. Now, I want to talk about how people can uh, work with you. And I'm pretty sure after hearing some of the things you've had to say, you may have a, a queue forming um, of people wanting to work with you. But before I get to that, I just have a few standard questions that I like to ask my guests. Um, the first one, now I don't know if you've done much speaking yourself. I was assume people want to hear you speak on these things. But if you have, what is the best thing speaking has done for you? Apart from give you lots of clients, I suppose. Actually, I, I don't get a lot of clients from speaking engagements. Um, maybe I should look into that. <laughs> what is the best thing that speaking has done for me? Well, it was one of the few things that I've always been good at, even, you know, from a young age. And by young age, I mean, you know, early 20s, uh, I started speaking and I realized that that I had, you know, just by accident, I did a few things right and had more successes than failures. And so I think it just built my confidence that, you know, that I could do something that a lot of people couldn't and you know all of, you know my best friend could could play any sport better than i could and when i tried to introduce him to something that was new to him he beat me at that too oh, yeah. <laughs> and so you know with that kind of an experience it was great to just have something that that uh, was useful and and that other people admired and it, it built confidence I think that's probably the first word that comes to mind. It built confidence. Brilliant. Now, my next question is normally, what's your worst speaking gig? But now I'm going to have to go back and find out about this golf story and put it in this slot, just because you, you mentioned it. So what's, <laughs> what, what happened on your golf story? As long as it's, it's clean and it doesn't involve swearing, we're good. Yeah, yeah. It's a long story and maybe not all that interesting. Okay. I was in my, I grew up on a farm. Golfing was not part of our culture. <laughs> and I was not athletic to start with, right? 
And so I was in my probably, probably around 30 before a bunch of my buddies decided they were going to go chip and putt. Um, do you know what, do you yeah, have that? In, putt, we call it here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not real golf, no, but it's, it's just sort of a condensed version of it. That was the first time I'd ever touched a golf club in my life. So there we are standing at the sort of the launching point, uh, the tee off point, I guess you would call it. And we're in a line, right? There's people ahead of us, people behind us. We got to be our turn and all my friends teed off. And I must have swung like five times <laughs> and couldn't hit the ball. And there are all these people lined up behind me, waiting to get started, waiting for me to hit this ball. It was one of those moments when I thought the only way out of this is to kill myself somehow. <laughs> just, it was awful. And I have never touched a golf club since. It's understandable. You just need, you need a good golf coach, like a voice coach. Anything's possible, Jeff. Private and one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> There's a reason why I don't like group voice. And you asked worst speaking gig? Yes, go on. Yes. Let's have uh, well, that. I can tell you one of my worst experiences. It goes back a long way. Doesn't mean I haven't had some bad ones in between. But uh, the one that always comes to mind, first of all, I was in my 20s. I was giving, uh, I was giving a, a layperson's speech at my church. And... Uh, it was supposed to be 30 minutes. That was how long these things typically were in the church where I grew up. And I obviously didn't rehearse, just pulled a bunch of notes together. And I ended up speaking for an hour and a half. People were dying. Young mothers with children were just getting up and leaving because they just couldn't stay and look. And I didn't know how to stop it. <laughs> I still cringe when I remember that experience. Oh dear. So, rehearse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm crazy about rehearsing these days. Hit your time slot for sure. Oh, Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. <laughs> right, something maybe a little bit easier. What's the best book you've ever read? That's a terrible question to ask me. I, I'm serious. Anything, you know, the top whatever, my favorite food. Um, oh, goodness. Can I just, can I just substitute, narrow it down to like the best speaking book I've ever read or something? Of course, you can, yes. All right. There's a book called Trust Me. Trust Me by Nick Morgan. I think he teaches at Harvard. And I think he coaches presidents. But uh, when I read that book, and it's been a few years now, I felt like, like someone had just plagiarized stuff that I was talking about all the time, but in a good way. Yeah. It just, uh, he, he talks about the four important, uh, four main aspects of speech. And the first two are openness and connection. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever had? My very first business coach taught me how to do follow-up. Ah, yes, yeah. So up to that point, you know, someone would call me 
I'd return their call, of course. But if they didn't call me back, that was the end of it. And, and if someone would send me an email, I would email them back. And if they didn't respond to that, then they weren't going to be my client. And my attitude was, if they want to work with me, they'll get in touch. So my first coach told me that you need to try more than once. <laughs> and uh, my business exploded. So, you know, I went from having, you know, two or three clients a week to having 20 clients a week. The fortune's in the follow-up, isn't it? I guess that's what they say. Well, and, and now I know, you know, I've been knocked around long enough to know that the average person has, what, five, has to be exposed to you like five times before they take action. So I wasn't even doing that much. Uh, so. That's brilliant. That's, that's a good one. Right, final question. Who, if you could choose anyone, and they can be dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose to be your mentor and why? Too many possibilities. Don't worry about offending people. We'll put a caveat. Jay, if Jay doesn't say your name and you're alive, you're in the mix, but I put him on the spot. Who would be my mentor? Oh, man, I'm just buying time by repeating the question. Um, let me just answer it this way. It, it's not really an answer to your question, but it's my, it's my best attempt. Um, when someone mentions the word mentor, uh, I think of my very first voice teacher, Jay Stinger. Uh, he, he had a profound effect on, on my life. And, you know, talk about taking an insecure, you know, person just out of high school and uh, encouraging, encouraging me and sort of nurturing a dream that I had that really ultimately was never fulfilled, but he never ever uh, sort of, that never got in the way, right? He was always, always completely supportive. And what is it that um, uh, Andrew Carnegie says, be hearty in your approbation and lavish in your praise. And Jay Stinger embodied that. And it was a, it was a, an amazing experience for me to work with him. Sounds like the perfect answer. Sounds like All right. <laughs> it's like swinging five times at the chip and ball. <laughs> now, Jay, you have been an absolute delight. And I want to thank you so much for all the stuff that you've shared, which I'm sure is actually going to make an impact on people who are listening. And how can people work with you where's the best place to go now i know you've got some some courses as well so people can work with you one-to-one -one, um, mm -hmm. and but there's also some other stuff that you've got that maybe people mm -hmm. can pick up what's where can they get hold of you and this stuff okay let me quickly talk about the options from from least expensive to to most expensive yep. so there's my youtube channel yeah. so uh, my channel name is voice and speech all one word or something like that but on, I've got, what, 70 videos up on YouTube on all sorts of topics related to voice and public speaking. So you can always browse around through there and I'm sure, you know, pick up nuggets here and there. Um, I also, on a monthly basis, I offer free mini courses. So I alternate. Um, next month is going to be a mini course on helping people who need to strengthen their voice. Mm 
the month after that is going to be uh, a mini course helping people who need to speak more slowly. So those are week-long mini courses, uh-huh. and, and I offer them. They're not constantly available. Uh, you have to enroll uh, and, and go through the course. So I jump back and forth. One month is Strong Voice. One month is called Pacing Yourself. So that's, uh, that's free, and that doesn't obligate you to anything. And I really do try to deliver value uh, in those mini courses. Then I have an online course that people can uh, enroll in. The cost of that is 197 Canadian. Um, and that's called Your Strong Voice. It's specifically geared and focused for people who need stronger voices. But it would also be good for anyone, whether they're trying to slow down or deepen their voice. It's really just a basic course of voice training. So uh, it, it would be useful for pretty much anyone who's just looking for to get a good, well-rounded foundation in voice training. And I think for your clients, Sarah, your listeners, I'd, I'd like to offer that course at a 15% discount. So I'll provide you with a sales page link that will uh, make that available if people are inclined to go that route. That's brilliant. I'll make sure we put that in the show notes. That's great. Thank you. And And then the other thing is working with me in person one-on-one. And that usually starts with an initial consultation. And the cost of that is 99 Canadian. And, uh, And that just gives us a chance to talk about how voice training works. We do some assessment. And I do 15 or 20 minutes of actual training with them in that meeting so that they they really have a good feel for what they're getting into and and whether or not they want to proceed with weekly training. That is brilliant. Well, I will put the link to the YouTube channel and presumably, okay, can they get on the free courses from your website, Jay? Is that how they'd access those or, or would it yeah. be different? On my website, there is a there's an opt-in form where they can put their name on the list to be uh, notified when the next course is being offered. Brilliant. And are you on Twitter or? I am, but it's, it's not really my social media platform of choice. Which is yours? Where can people find you? Well, first of all, YouTube. I just, I feel like video is just the best way for me to share my knowledge with people. So we'll put, we'll focus on YouTube. That is brilliant. Well, as I said, you've been a delight, Jay. You're, you're a lovely, very, very nice guy. And obviously that comes across very much in your, in your person as well. Um, Thank you so much. Um, And yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to share that stuff with us. Thank you, Sarah. It was my pleasure. How about that then? I learned loads and I shall be certainly be paying more attention to looking after and developing my voice. Please go and check out Jay's free resources. And if he's convinced you, like he has me, that perhaps you're not using your voice to its full potential, then check out Jay's course with the Speaking Club discount or book a Skype session with him to work more intensively. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you're not subscribed, make sure you do so you don't miss an episode. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and spread the word wherever you're listening. And I will catch you next week. In the meantime, don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. 
If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book straight to the top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is, and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.